Hello, this is Jeffrey Sign, author of the Guardian series. The Legendarian podcast is brought to you by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. But for now, welcome to the Legendarium. My, my depth of troll knowledge comes from the movie The Troll Hunter. <laughs> Which one? The... The cute little animated one? No, I'm talking the one that's it's like an indie film where... Is this the one that came out maybe five, ten years ago? Yeah. I it's love like, this oh. movie. The trolls smell the blood of Christians. Yes. And, yeah. I'm thinking box trolls. Those oh, are the cute little ones. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Legendarium Podcast. I'd just like to remind you the Legendarium is available every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. So please support the show on Patreon, tell your friends, and be sure to leave a review. I am your host, Craig Hanks, and, uh, well, you know, Bilbo had more than one larder, one of which was actually named Ryan J. Bruckman. Oh, it's, it's a fat joke. I, I get it. You got it? I think I got it, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, break your dishes. <laughs> and the eagles would take one look at her being accosted by bloodthirsty goblins and say, eh, not worth the trouble. It's Stephanie Bruckman. It's okay. I never like those eagles anyway. Uh, welcome back, Stephanie. Thanks. So, Stephanie, you uh, you previously joined us for the Night Angel trilogy, mm-hmm. and you're back for this one because you are a massive, massive fan of The Hobbit. Massive. And everything. I That wasn't another fat joke. I'm sorry. That's... <laughs> Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Stephanie, we are glad to have you on in part because, um, you know, I was on a, uh, I was on a YouTube debate on Daniel Green's channel recently. Did you happen to catch that, Ryan? Yeah, I went back and watched it a little while ago. Okay. So, uh, the final question of this debate, there were three questions and the last one was, uh, what is the greatest fantasy story ever told or the best fantasy story ever told? And there, uh, there is no right answer to that question. You could go any which way, but I chose The Hobbit because I thought it was defensible, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and and I defended it and won the debate and did the Legendarium proud, and it was great. But the thing that I got the most pushback on, uh, you know, in the comments section of that and, and, and elsewhere, was there are no women in The Lord of the Rings. There's not even, you know, there there are no female speaking parts. How could that possibly be? The greatest and I, anyway you can't so, pass the bechdel test because there's not even a female character in it <laughs> exactly uh that's right bechdel's head exploded when the hobbit was published um <laughs> even though bechdel wasn't alive yet anyway so uh but I, I was curious just to throw this out there because it was something that came up i i don't know why i'm bringing this up first but uh but you're here let's dive right, right into it. you're you're here and uh rumor has it you're a woman i tend to agree with that I, <laughs> more often than not. No, but I was curious. I was curious uh, just to to hit this right up front because it's something that came up for me recently. Uh, does that bother you at all um, when it comes to the Hobbit? Um, I have to admit, when I was reading it, I that never crossed my mind. Like I never really thought about it. Yeah. Um, when I actually read the Hobbit, um, I was more familiar with the Lord of the Rings movies. Sure. And they obviously have women in them, um, but. I I honestly it doesn't even doesn't yeah, I'm, I'm not offended by it. I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. I don't. In fact, I don't even think if anyone had asked me, I would have been like, "Oh yeah," because you mentioning that right now, it's like there isn't in there. I guess like, not. Yeah, no. There's, um, no, there there's really not. Like, okay, like there's a there's one or two. I think there's only one named 
woman in the entire uh, Hobbit, and it's like Bilbo's mom. And of course, it's not a speaking role or anything. So no, there's the the Sackville Baggins is he names the woman who steals his the spoons. spoons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right there, you go. But she is really my idol in the yeah. whole series. That she's the one there. I live up to be. So anyway, um, <laughs> now that we've now that we've talked about that, sorry to make that a short conversation. No, that I don't have more to say about that. But I, the thing is, I feel exactly the same. But of course there's always that uh, kind of niggling doubt in the back of your mind. I'm like, it's like, uh, is that just because I'm a man? And so I'm used to so reading I'm, about men or, you know, so I was curious to get I'm your take on it. I'm definitely a romantic. I am probably one of the few that liked the romance they added to the movie because there are no well, women Well, it was in nice to have you here, Stephanie. It was great <laughs> to have you on the episode. I knew that was going to get me kicked off. Um, but I like a good romance story, probably a little bit more than most, but... I don't think this one needed it at all. Like it's just not really what it's about. It isn't. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's I it's a lot more about friendship and I don't think that you need to be a woman or a man. Like that's not gender based whether you have a, a tight knit family friendship. Right. Like the dwarves that and then Bilbo it adding into that that family kind of aspect to it. I think that's more of what this book is about than the romance of sure. it all. I agree. So. And there's very little about this um, story in my mind that's a gender dynamic discussion, like the ability of one or the other. Like in Lord of the Rings, you can do that a little bit more with some of the other characters. But in The Hobbit, like there's not really anything in this story that I, I don't know that if, let's say, Bilbo was a woman, would this story be all that different if you're on the same journey? Would the decisions be all that different? Be based on a gender setup. Like, right. I, and that was kind of my defense. Um, I, I can't remember if I defended it in writing or if it was on the show that I did, but uh, either way, my defense was kind of like, you know, this is, it, it's a human story. It's not a man story. Um, With only one, and he's not even human, he's Maiar. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh, what, what's his name? Bard the Bowman is, uh, is oh, I guess the, only, true. the only man in the story, really. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll get to that later because today we're only talking about chapters one through seven. Uh, and... I thought when we started splitting this up, we're talking about how many episodes we're going to do. I said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to chapter seven. That's when he's at Baron's house and it'll be it'll be fine. There's there should be enough to talk about there. Now that I've got my notes compiled, I think it's going to be a friggin miracle if we make it that far, <laughs> frankly. Um, I'm prepared for, for for the return of Professor Craig teaches the Lord of the Rings. And, and I, I, you know, I'm gonna try not to go too far down that road. But if you get annoyed by little tidbits, then you know, you know, little factoids that I might bring up or try to slip in there, then I'm just saying just you should skip it, shut I'm, it off. You should just lean into it and throw pop quizzes in the middle of what we're like those moments and just bring back Craig's Lord of the Rings. Because <laughs> we are definitely now starting our 15 episode. Um, podcast of The Hobbit. Oh, so man. welcome to <laughs> Legendary. Welcome to the rest of your life. <laughs> now I thought about, so if you're a longtime listener of the show, you might remember our original Lord of the Rings episodes and I did Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia and I was thinking about doing that again today, but I decided against it partly just because it's like, all right, name this person, you know, name this sword, name this thing. And it's like, yeah, it's all names. Or Christ. Yeah, there you go. Correct. And what's, what's Gandalf's sword? Uh, Glamdring. Nice. Okay. What do they What do they mean in Sindarin? Foe <laughs> uh, hammer is glam. No. Yeah. Yeah. Glamdring and uh, Orcrist 
I'll let you ruminate on that for the rest of the episode. If it's you can, like if you can think of that without looking at your goblin phone. bane or something like that, I can't remember. <laughs> All right, I'll let you effort that. Um, anyway, so yeah, I decided not to do it because it's mostly a bunch of names and stuff. So, uh, but if you want, I'll do that for the next episode. I'll, I'll, I'll trivia the crap out of you guys. Okay. Um, I'm skipping past that. <laughs> <laughs> but what we are talking about is, uh, like I said, chapters one through seven. So we have uh, Gandalf and the dwarves arrive at Bilbo's house. Uh, they head out on the road and have uh, a sort of adventure with the trolls. They make it to Rivendell and meet Elrond and learn what the map that Thorin is carrying means and, uh, and how how to read it. They uh, get captured by goblins and uh, Bilbo escapes through Gollum's cave and acquires the One Ring, which we'll talk about later. Uh, they get chased by the goblins and saved by the eagles. The eagles deposit them at Baron's house and they spend a, a little bit of time there recuperating before they head out on their adventure. And that's where we have ended is as they are entering Mirkwood after Baron's house. So start at the uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, for, well, first question, how much do we dare bring up the movies? Do, do, are, are we doing movie stuff at all? I think it's worth throwing in a discussion potentially, but I, I would say let's try not to spend a ton of time on arguing or pointing out variations, but it's worth sure. talking about. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's an adaptation that has merit. The, the reason I bring it up here, uh, is because I, generally speaking, as a rule, I detest those movies. Um, and you know, I don't want to get into a giant thing about why that is. I, you know, I'm sure that I am not unique in, in why I dislike those movies, but I will say that, uh, the beginning of the first movie is, uh, is a lot of fun. The meeting of Gandalf and Bilbo, the arrival <laughs> of the dwarves, the song with the plates and all the this plates, stuff, yeah. like, you know, it's, it's all generally pretty faithful to the book and uh and a, a fun adaptation of what we see here in the first chapter and so uh it made me appreciate and love one one song poem, one song one song in the entire and all uh, of the ones i had to read i actually don't mind that one because i can listen through it and go all right they did a gorgeous job with that one. Oh, you're talking about the uh, misty the, mountains the misty mountains i appreciate song. like i do like the the dish the song. crack the plates yeah, it's fun. Like that's fun. I like that in the movies. I didn't like it in the rendition I was listening to. But, <laughs> but what were you listening to? I was listening to the one on Audible, but it's the uh, reading from like 1930s or whatever. No, it's, it's just, not the 30s. That's what it says at the end. It says no, no copyright no. like 1936 or something like that. Like, no, I guarantee. The, the, so the book was published in 1937. Um, if, uh, yeah, let's see, if in the well, the the way you would tell is the riddle section with Gollum. Uh, that's where the biggest changes were made. That mm -hmm. uh, was in chapter five. Uh, so I, <laughs> I can almost guarantee you that you were not listening to the original. It's probably the copyright version. of the book or whatever. But yeah, that's yeah. yeah. No, it's it was just not a not a great read on that. But in I love the Misty Mountains song. Okay. Um, the deep bass that they used. Sure. Just, it's beautiful. It is beautiful in the movie. Yeah. I'll give you that. So okay, let's talk about the uh, the actual book now. Okay, movie stuff out of the way. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, the the book. So Gandalf arrives and and meets Bilbo. Uh, what are you guys' impressions so far? Before I get into you know annoying Professor Craig mode about this section, um, is this? Do you do you enjoy this part or is it a chore as you kind of get to the meat of the adventure? 
Uh, I would say, I, I as a longtime fantasy reader, longtime uh, reader, first time caller. Yeah, that like I, I'm expecting obviously that beginning of let me know what world I'm in, let me know what these mm -hmm. characters are, and so the beginning of spending the time to let you know who hobbits are and what they're like, so that you can then spend the rest of the journey realizing how Bilbo is breaking from that and why. Yeah. Like, like I'm fine with that. Meeting Gandalf as as kind of the the impetus for pushing him onto this journey, things like that. Like. It's it's good. It's a fun section or whatever, and it makes sense. Um, I, it's not a like hobbits as a whole is not the sort of person that we see nowadays. Like in modern society, I don't know many people that I would be like, yeah, you're just like a hobbit, right? And so to take the time to actually paint this picture of people like that was, you know, it's it's you it's unique to the world, right? Well, so. Uh, hobbits, as you say, we're kind of getting to know what are hobbits, who are they, what they are, quite literally, is Victorian Englishmen. Mm -hmm. uh, that is that is what they are, and there's some purpose to this, but there's this whole thing about uh, Bilbo reading his morning letters while he's sitting outside smoking his pipe and, and all this, and uh, this idea of the post getting delivered twice a day and all this stuff. There are little clues like this and the waistcoat that he wears and the brass buttons that, you know, he'd like it if they were gold, but, uh, you know, brass will do. and All these little hints that point to an almost exact time, which is late 19th century England. Mm -hmm. And so you have Bilbo, who is a... Uh, he's described as, is it well-to-do? Um, or I'm trying to remember the exact language... But basically, Bilbo is somebody who has land, he has money, he doesn't have to work for a living. You know, he has gardeners and whatnot and, and all this stuff, the Gamgees, right? We learn mm -hmm. later. Uh, anyway, and so it's it's really easy to situate him in a very specific moment in real earth time. That's right. he's, he's just a short version of Victorian Englishman. Uh, so anyway, it's so as we're getting to know that, that is going to be important to understand who he is and where he comes from, uh, especially as we go on in the story. Anyway, kind of same question to you, Stephanie, as you, as you get into this story, do you wish that it moved faster or do you kind of relish this, uh, this opening stuff with Bilbo? I think it's important in when you're building this new kind of world that is, it's so massive and it does, it becomes this huge place. It's nice to start small and to understand exactly where Bilbo comes from. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a problem with it. A lot of books start out that way where you get a lot of these minute details of characters and their dwellings and their dress. So as they move on, you can understand the growth that's happening with the character, the change. If you didn't understand where Bilbo came from in the first place, watching him, his journey the, and back home, like right, there and they're back, back again. again there doesn't matter as it, much yeah, if you don't you know you never understand whence. where he starts who he comes back as it doesn't have quite the same effect as when he does finally make it back home and you find out okay as all of his stuff's being pawned off and whatnot like <laughs> right. well and i will i will say that i don't i've been thinking a lot about this uh since we've announced we were doing this episode here uh people come back to the fact all the time that this is a this is a children's book right this is sure I don't know that I entirely agree with that. I mm, I have things to say about this. <laughs> um, Surprise! I would say that this opening section here would not capture at least a modern child's attention. 
um, enough to have him continue on through the book. You know, if you're sitting and reading it to them at night or something like that, you can probably right. get through. Um, if you're looking for the uh, that hook that's going to make you be like, oh yeah, I can't wait to read the next thing that we're so used to now. Mm -hmm. uh, you won't find it here. That's not necessarily a criticism, but that's definitely a, a, what, a what piece of the time. When the dwarves arrive, I might argue that, you know, the first conversation between Bilbo and Gandalf, a kid might not think is that exciting. I mean, when Tolkien published this, you'd probably hand it to a seven or eight year old kid. Nowadays, that wouldn't fly with most seven or eight year olds. You know, some, right. some would be fine. Um, but I would think that you know, when the dwarves arrive and they're kind of tumbling through the door and they're all wearing their different colored hoods and all this stuff, like that, and they're you know pulling out musical instruments and stuff, I, there's something kind of childlike about that that uh, might might grab their attention. Yeah, maybe the appearance of dwarves of a, of, a, of a magical. I mean, the hobbits themselves are fairy tale creature type sure, setup, but sure. they're they're not the fairy tale creature you're used to. Right. Um, so yeah, I could see the dwarves being a, a catch point, but. I would say that once you get into the coming quest of we need a burglar and we need, you know, we're going to go back to the, to claim the mountain that we lost type yeah. thing. That's probably more where I would say that's the, the, the catch point to say, all right, that's the journey you're going to go on and be excited about. So are we talking about a story in general like this or like The Hobbit? Because I know for me, I was really not all that interested in the Lord of the Rings, especially as books, until the Lego games came out. <laughs> Which is, I know, it wasn't even the, the most, movies. That's the most Stephanie thing you've ever said. <laughs> it was the Lego games that got me, and I played all of, I played through the Lord of the Rings Lego games, and I was like, and this is, I think, right as the podcast was And please starting. understand, when she says plays through, she gets to the 100% mark <laughs> in Lego games. It's yes, not just I through the story. I through the Lego games. And this is all what this all happened for me as you guys were starting the podcast and you were doing the Lord of the Rings podcast for weeks. Five and a half years ago. And weeks. Um and so that's finally when I was like, Okay, I'm I'm gonna pick up this book. I mean, I had seen the movies, I wasn't all that into the movies. Yeah. And that's when I finally picked up the book and I actually got through all of the books reading them to my newborn child in the middle of the night when he's doing his feedings and stuff and I'm just rocking him there. I read them out loud to my newborn. And I think for me, I don't know if I would have been able to grasp and be as interested in the books if I didn't have something else that caught my attention first. The visual, the visual help from yeah. another medium. And so I don't know if all stories like that start out like this, if they would grab as quickly as maybe this one could, even though it does start off a right. little slower, because kids nowadays have something else to connect it to. So, so this gets to something that has been a, it's been a pet issue of mine now for a few months. I talked about it in a, a video essay that I did months ago. I talked about it a little bit on that debate that I mentioned earlier. Uh, this idea of of uh, modern fantasy, the the stuff that we like to read nowadays as quote-unquote fantasy readers. Um, we cherish things that have a high level of world building and complexity. So, we, you know, we think about things like the Stormlight Archive or, or uh, Name of the Wind or whatever, um, where there's all this world building that goes into it and you've got to try to insert yourself into this story and you know it's going to take a long time. Um and we've just kind of accepted that as fantasy fans now, or it's like, okay, you pick up a thousand pages of uh, the Way of Kings, 
and you just accept that it's going to take hundreds of pages before I feel like I have figured out the story and the characters and where things are going, and you just decide, I'm going to invest in that. Well, when this was published in 1937, that wasn't a thing. Right. The, the world building, you know, what we call world building now, what Tolkien called sub-creation, that was not a thing that people did. I mean, it's certainly not to the level that Tolkien was mm-hmm. prepping to do. Uh, and so when he wrote a story like this, I mean, this he wrote for his kids, right? But the idea was it's this journey into fairy, and he knew that it's going to take a long time for you as a reader um, to accept this journey into fairy and you're going to need someone to hold your hand through the process. Um, So uh, I apologize for, it's just, I'm sitting here staring at it on my shelf. So it's an easy reference point, but the way of Kings, there is no Hobbit. There's no, there's nobody who you can quite relate to as somebody from your world. Now, you know, injected into this fantasy world, you just have to accept everybody and everything that comes with the world. And so what Bilbo is doing is, uh, for somebody in 1937, he is instantly recognizable as, oh yeah, this is the way that my parents have lived, or my grandparents, or the rich guy on the hill over there. You know, the, it's it's easily recognizable. And so, as a kid or as as an adult back at that time, you're like, oh, I I recognize this world. I have a starting point. And now, as we go into the story, things can get weird. But I have that baseline, right? Um, nowadays we don't, we don't often allow for that sort of thing. This feels kind of weird and cheap and it's not, this isn't real world building because, you know, Bilbo is too, he's too earthly, so to speak, you know, too real. There are a few, I can think of really off the top of my head, um, a couple modern examples of where people, where we try and implement this and it has already changed even in modern times like the ability to do this because uh anyone who follows like the doctor who series uh-huh. from the beginning of the doctor who series all the way up until just recently i might argue your connection to this world out there was supposed to be through the companion like you like yeah. the doctor or whatever but he's yep. this magical you know cr- you know uh, beyond mortal ken right but you you connect with the companion and see everything through that light sure um but even doing that in modern times it's we we have not we don't attach ourselves to the companion we we name oh this is my doctor this is my right. whatever it is um and it, it's it's just changed and i don't know why if we just don't like the idea of giving ourselves over to a guide or if we want to always be connected to the biggest hero in the story or what like if you were reading like if this if the hobbit came out now would people want to be more gandalf because he's this ultimate superpower wizard even though he doesn't do a ton of magic in oh, that's this. a great question that's a oh man you're getting into some really interesting territory i think like we all love okay so let's take the marvel movies for instance mm-hmm. uh, we all like to think of ourselves as iron man captain america thor but you know why can't we think of ourselves as uh, is it happy or um <laughs> what pepper pepper and... yeah whatever the, the the kind of secondary side characters who are helping the heroes do all this stuff or going I am with absolutely them the pepper to yeah. ryan's attempt at iron man <laughs> <laughs> ouch <laughs> nice nice um yeah i don't know i'd have to think about this more but that's a, an interesting question and i'm sitting here thinking i absolutely want to be bilbo like i think bilbo is one of the funnest characters 
I have ever read. I think that's, and maybe it's one of those things like in my mind, I, I live a, a quiet life. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, an outlandish person. I don't go on a whole lot of adventures. I mean, or do anything unexpected. I am. I'm, that's just the kind of person I am in the life that we're leading right now. And the idea of being able to pick up and just go on an adventure, like, it's so much so fun. Romantic. It's so much fun living through Bilbo in yeah. that respect. And it's a lot safer living through my book. It's like my next house. time I offer to take us on a hike or something, I'm going to be like, be Bilbo. <laughs> Let's go do something. And outdoorsy. I was like, oh, I have to camp outside. Maybe not. But, um, <laughs> but I think Bilbo is, is definitely very relatable and, and an exciting character to be, to be or want to be or to follow. I would imagine, of course, I, I love the dwarves. Um, I think they're fun and their individual characters are hilarious. And that's, at least the at least the Lego versions. Yes, the Lego versions are amazing. Um <laughs> But I think that and that's one thing that I loved how individual the dwarves all are. And I could definitely be like, Oh yeah, if I could remember any of their names that all rhyme. Um but Boin, Gloin, Keely, Feely, Bomber, Bofer, Biffer, Biffer, <laughs> Thorin. Oh, dang it. I got only got to eight. <laughs> Dory, Nori, Ori, Oin, Gloin, Biffer, Buffer, Bumber, Feely, Keely. I, oh, I, did I miss any? I, yeah, I, I knew I was going to be the Thorin. the one that couldn't list that entire thing. No, but that's fine. Um, I think there are plenty of characters in here that that doesn't have to be the magical character. Like, but so I, I think there's a lot about Bilbo that's you know you can look at, and especially by the end of the book that you want to emulate, you want to be like that. Or Thorin, I mean, like, but um, like for at the beginning of this story here. I don't relate to Bilbo. Like, no, I'm the sort of person like I am. I want adventure. Sure. I want that. I that that sense of doing something great. I I, I don't want to live the so quiet life. When you when you <laughs> say that you like, I I don't identify with him. Meaning, I don't see that as myself. But right. is that, uh, is that a detriment to the story in your mind? No. It, I, one one of the things I like about Bilbo. Uh, as opposed to something like, say, Harry Potter. Harry Potter, which I love. It, I, I love those books. Please don't get me wrong. <laughs> Harry Potter, as a character, he's a lump of crap. He's he's nothing. And and this works to the advantage of the story in a way because you can project whatever you want onto Harry. Um, I, even more so than that, uh, Katniss Everdeen from whatever those books are called. Hunger Games. Hunger Games, yeah. She's a lump of crap. She does, like... She is. She I'm really is, curious as to why you project onto lumps of crap versus like <laughs> calling them like they're just a mirror or they're a ball of clay or something. But no, they're lumps of crap. They're, yeah, they're lumps of crap. Uh, <laughs> I am who I am, Ryan. Okay, I I, I won't apologize. So, uh, but Bilbo is he's a very well defined character, mm-hmm. um, and so if you don't identify with him. It's because you don't have all those same characteristics, and I think that's okay. There's there's something to be said for a very well drawn character. Oh, absolutely! I, I I absolutely agree that you don't have a, him not me not being able to relate to him in terms of my personal drive and everything is uh-huh. not a detriment to the being able to enjoy or read the story at all. Um, if I could only read books that I identified with characters, I would be just reading like. Nothing but Kaladins. Your your own like, <laughs> your own journals over and yeah, over again. Yeah, that's uh, that would be a really terrible way to read these books. Agreed. Um, I think though, like just expecting a guy, like sometimes just being able to make that uh, that recognition and connection gives you an an easier entry point. 
you don't have to have it. It's just something that can be there. It wasn't for me on this, uh, but I still love Bilbo. And by the end of the sh- by the end of the whole adventure, there's so much about who he is that that I love that you know, and and the fact that you know it, it really continues to emphasize the hardiness of dwarves, like or of uh, hobbits. You know, the fact that the you know the dra- the dragon gold thing. I know we're jumping like way ahead and stuff like that. the the dragon sickness Cheater. isn't affecting him. Something like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm just saying that that Bilbo is definitely a character that you can, by the end of the book, even if you don't relate at the beginning, love and connect with. Yeah, I'd say, I, I think connect with is a good phrase to use uh, rather than identify with. I, I don't yeah. know, maybe blur, blurry lines on you know what these all mean, but if we take it to mean that Bilbo is some sort of mirror that you get to hold up and see yourself in. It's unlikely. Right. Unless um, you're a Victorian exactly, Englishman. Exactly. Um, no, I quick poll of the room. I think I'm with you, Ryan, where if Gandalf showed up on my door and was like, hey, we're going on an adventure, my first instinct is to say, like, sign me up. Mm-hmm. You know, give, give me that contract. What about you, Stephanie? I want to say, yes, that would be my first instinct. Yeah. But deep down, I really don't think it would be. So... But there's there okay, so there's first instincts and then there's the reality. And if you recall from episode like thirty something, when we played Dungeons and Dragons for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Ryan and I, our first instinct isn't necessarily what we would actually go with <laughs> because uh, you know, especially after becoming a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Bilbo Bilbo doesn't have any kids or, you know, any family living with him and so he's able to just kind of lock up and go. Um, if Gandalf showed up at my door, I'd be like, "Well, I, I got kids. I can't." I'm sorry, man. Yeah, you're you're out of luck. Go find a single person to go with. You know. Anyway, so well, I know yeah. I had a lot of opportunities in college when I wasn't really attached to anything that I could have gone out, and yeah. I never did. Well, that's why like, uh, when when my wife and I were uh, just finishing up college and we're deciding what we want to do, we didn't have any kids at this point, uh, and so. I, I literally, I took a crappy job a thousand miles away up in Seattle just so that we could go move <laughs> to Seattle for a while uh, and have an adventure, you know, and, and we didn't have as many responsibilities. And so we were able to do that. And it was great. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm not very bilbo Your version of The Hobbit is a little bit different. <laughs> a, so was, Craig's Hobbit, you know, moved to Seattle. Well, I, I, I had some adventures up there. <laughs> Subway man licked my neck. Uh, so, okay, I, I, as promised, we're half an hour through this damn thing, and we haven't made it out of chapter one. That's how these work. You don't get out of the Shire anytime soon when you start. So we we planned on three on three episodes, partly to thumb our noses at Peter Jackson and say, "Look what you can accomplish in three episodes." But we're gonna end up taking like, uh, what whatever five it takes. six whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, so let's just let's just continue on. We'll see how far we get in this. Back I did, to the plot. I did want to. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think of the fun aspect of this, as opposed to the Lord of the Rings, which it puts the epic in epic fantasy? Right. The Lord of the Rings is yeah, it has a few moments of levity, but for the most part, it you're is... not cracking jokes out of Return of the King. No, 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 no. <laughs> it is dead serious. Whereas in this one, you have. Uh, the thing that always sticks out to me is uh, where it's mentioned that Bull Roarer Took knocks the head off of, uh, of Golfin Bull. <laughs> and that's the, how golf is And that's how golf is invented, right? Um, 
which is just silly and stupid and and fun. I don't know. What do you what do you guys think? Are you are you cool with the fun? Is is it just because this is a kids book or do you like fun stuff like that in your books? <laughs> um, I'm I am more likely to reread The Hobbit more than I am Lord of the Rings, yeah. and I think that is because of that. That's a big part of why. Yeah, because it's a lot more lighthearted. The characters are a lot more lighthearted. I think it's a little less um, dire as to what they are dealing with. Um, a little less serious, a little less world ending. Sure. Um, so smaller, smaller stakes. I'm a little bit more likely to want to reread, or even like now that our son's getting older, go okay. Let let's sit down and let's let's get through this and like and talk to him about it. Then I don't know how often I'll ever go back and reread the entire Lord of the Rings series. Sure. No, that but... makes sense. That makes sense. Um, fun fact: Bull Roarer Took. Okay, what is a bull roarer? This is an actual thing. Uh, have you guys seen Crocodile Dundee 2? Many, many years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Remember when he stands up on the hill and he spins that thing around and it makes a bunch of noise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A bull roarer is like a toy that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's uh, kind of an elongated disc tied to a cord that you spin around and it makes uh, just this riotous noise. Hmm. Um, so that that's a real thing. Boom, 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 boom. The more you know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm trying to think. Anything else from... Don't ever say oh. we're not educational. There you go. Uh, you can say that. It's mostly <laughs> true. <laughs> well, I'm about to drop something on you. Dwarf names. Um, okay. He told me... You're giving me, us dwarf names? Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> no. Not yet. Maybe <laughs> next time. I'm going to give this a little thought. Uh, the dwarf names, they just kind of seem out of the blue like Tolkien made up a bunch of rhyming names and he played the name game with something like uh, toss me something loin okay all right oin gloin loin what, right. rhymes yeah, with yeah. that uh no yes and no i should say yes and no most of these names including thorin and gandalf uh, but most of the other ones as well come from the old norse elder edda which is a collection of um, poems uh, and legends in old norse and in one of them is a list of they just list the names of the dwarves in this story in in the old Norse story, and he plucked a bunch of names out of there. So you have Gandalf, uh, which there's a really interesting back formation. It's a like a linguistic story about how he came up with or what he did with Gandalf, where he sees this name. There's no additional context. It just lists this name Gandalf. And uh, and he sees it and and uh, tries to figure out what this would have meant in Old Norse. And he came up with wand elf. So an elf that carries around a staff and that became a wizard. And so <laughs> that's where the, the character of Gandalf kind of came from, or at least the name Gandalf came from. So there are a bunch of other dwarf names in there that, that uh, take up, I don't know, nine or ten of the 13 uh, dwarves. And then he filled out the rest with a few rhyming ones. So you've got like, Oin and Gloin, or, or no, you've got Oin, but he had he had added in Gloin. I can't remember which ones they all were, but there's like, uh, there's Biffer and Bomber, but he added Bofer or something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where that came from. Was Old Norse, a bunch <laughs> of and they, so they were actual dwarf names from that legend. There you go. Now you can sing the more you know, Ryan. I would have gone with Doc and Happy and Grumpy and Dopey. Uh, of course you would. Have. <laughs> he did not care for that cartoon. I can tell you that. Uh, Tolkien had very unkind words to say when Snow White came out. 
not not amused. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I just lost Stephanie. She's no longer a Tolkien fan. Um, okay, should we? Anything else to say on chapter one, uh, or should we exactly. move on? To, we're only just, in chapter one. That's still chapter one, and uh, they're yeah. still in the Shire. We are still. Do you want to get out of the Shire? Do you want to go somewhere else? Yes, please. Can we go, get out of the Shire? We'll go hang out with some trolls. <laughs> yes, let's go talk to Bill and. <laughs> Bill and Bert. Bert. Was that out of the Shire? Was that still in the Shire? <laughs> yeah, that's in the Etten Moors. Okay. So Etten. <laughs> this is just this is really just Professor Craig Hour. If you want to know, <laughs> if you want to know where I get all this stuff, by the way, it's not I, I'm not like that smart or anything. I just got the annotated Hobbit and I've read uh, Tom Shippey's books and you know there there are resources out there where they taught me all this stuff. You know how people get smart? They read books that have annotations and things like that. So it, it is you being smart. You well, just, I don't you, know you've gone that. through the research process. <laughs> so, so the trolls live in the Etten Moors, uh, and Etten is an old English word for giant or monster. Um, and so the Ettens, the Etten Moors, are where the the giants and monsters live. In this case, trolls. So, oh. okay. There you go. Sorry, I was automatically connecting it to the Ents. Like, oh yeah, yeah. That would be a oh yeah, giant monster. There'd be big trees that live yeah. Ents. Yeah, not the, quite the same, but I see, I see what okay. you're getting at there. Um, anyway, so we get to the trolls, and now we, <laughs> now we move from Bilbo and the hobbits, who he represents, being kind of these Victorian upper crusty, uh, you know, landed gentry, so to speak. And now we find the trolls who are basically like cockney bums. <laughs> the <Right>. dock workers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is one of my favorite uh, favorite episodes in the whole story, if only because I find them hilarious. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? Yeah, uh, I don't really know what to say about the trolls. Like, I think it's interesting that <laughs> they're that dumb, but not dumb. Uh, it, Generally speaking, with fantasy at this point in time, when you think of trolls, you don't think of having conversations. You think of having <laughs> battles. Sure. Like, they're either under a bridge, like, trying to keep you from getting across or whatever. But the fact that this whole thing is won by basically just getting them to argue until the sun comes up because they turn to stone when the sun comes up. I, I was like, okay, that's that's pretty funny. But, so I, I like this episode for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I wanted to kind of pause and stop on the trolls is because this is one of the first places that I wanted to talk about the different editions of The Hobbit. Okay. Um, so the first edition comes out in 1937, very well received. Uh, people enjoy it quite a bit, sells well. Uh, a sequel is asked for. But when Tolkien started working on The Lord of the Rings, he realized that this ring that Bilbo found, he needed it to be something else. He, he capitalized the R, right? This is the <laughs> ring. Yeah. And, and so he goes back into chapter five, especially, and says, you know, that episode with Gollum needs some serious revisions. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But he went through a lot of the other stuff in the book and just tweaked little words and phrases and added things and took things away. Anybody who ever gets mad at George Lucas for the 1997 versions of uh, <laughs> Star Wars, he didn't do it first, and he didn't do it most. Tolkien took a hatchet to this book and then took a scalpel to it many, many times um, and changed a lot of things. And this is one of the things uh, that he mentions. There's a, a bit when, uh, let's see, 
I no, I'm not going to read it because it's not going to make a ton of sense. There is a phrase that that he took or a sentence that he took out in the later versions of the story because he it was a direct um, it was a direct address to the reader, like he does in this book. You know, um, he's kind of it. It is Tolkien as the narrator talking to the reader, and he took out one of those references because he thought that it was actually too childish. No, I I think I will read it. So. Um, he he mentions something, William says something, and then the narrator says, I told you, he had already had as much supper as he could hold. Also, he had had lots of beer. Uh, and he takes out the I told you, that kind of direct reference from the narrator, because uh, what he said was that, uh, he said in a later um, interview in 1967 that he felt that that was too childish. And those kinds of references, if they were too kind of oblique and uh, and aimed at you stupid kids who need to understand this story so i'm just gonna tell you uh it he says it drove my kids crazy and i totally understand why now mm-hmm. i i never wanted this to be a quote-unquote kids book i wasn't trying to write a book for children i was just trying trying to write something for people that children could also enjoy um and so he didn't like some of those little references and he would take those out and so uh, if you ever want to complain about artists <laughs> revisiting their work here's one here's a great offender of that sort of uh, sensibility so i think that's interesting because i remember listening through having a moment on and something like that where a narr- it was a very direct narrator quote where they uh, it would just the narrator's voice took me out of it for a second they're not um, in the sense yeah. that they said something along those lines, like, I told you that this uh, this was the case. I'm like, wait a minute. Is there a narrator telling me this, like a, a voice that I should have been aware of the whole time that I haven't been, if that makes sense? Right, no, totally. Yeah, but, and I mean, it is Tolkien. I think it's just um, just the style of storytelling back then. Yeah, it was. I think the reason why it caught me off guard is like, I'm fine with that if it's the way that it, uh, that you start a story and we have this narrator character through the whole thing that we know that can come in and be that um arrested development omniscient god voice thing. <laughs> yeah 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 uh, but uh, it was just by that point we were like in murkwood i guess like something like that or I was like, yeah so okay. at that point you've probably just missed the missed direct it. references because there have been lots you know even in chapter one but uh anyway yeah uh, so i just thought that would be an interesting thing to bring up now next thing about the trolls uh we feel like they're a bunch of you know, Cockney dock workers, right? But in fact, we know they are Icelandic. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, we know this. We know this. How do we know this? Because trolls are are big in lots of northern myths and legends. Uh, Norwegian trolls, uh, if they uh, if they come into contact with sunlight, they turn to dust. They they burst into dust. Okay. It's Icelandic trolls that turn to stone ah. in the sunlight. So. Bill and Bert and whatever the third guy's name is, <laughs> they uh, they are Icelandic. Okay, so there you go. I is I, that referenced somewhere? Like my my depth of troll knowledge comes from the movie The Troll Hunter. Which one? <laughs> the the cute little animated one. No, no. What's that I'm, one called? I'm talking the one that's it's like an indie film where is this the one that came out maybe five ten years ago? Yeah, I love like, oh. this movie. The trolls smell the blood of Christians. Yes, and, yeah. I'm thinking box trolls. 
Those oh, are the no. cute little ones. <laughs> no. no, if you haven't seen this, I, I saw it on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix. If it is, Find you need it. to watch it. Find it. It's just called Troll Hunter. Um, and it's literally about these people who are making a, a documentary because they think that crazy people are talking about trolls or whatever. So we're going to go make a documentary about these nutters talking about trolls. And then the trolls are real and they're snatching people up and biting their heads. Off. It's fantastic. It's hilarious. Uh, highly recommend it. So there you go. But those are, those are Norwegian trolls. So yeah. I, just, I wasn't sure if that was like, you know, a reference point of knowledge for this. Like, this is how we know. Um, and then in this chapter is, this is also where we meet uh, a recurring character in both the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Sting. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I think you have my facsimile of, or your, is it now? I think I gave it to yeah, you. Yeah, I do. It's in my office. There you go. So Sting um, is Bilbo's new sword. He finds it in the uh, troll lair. Uh, Not named Sting yet, though. Um, that's true. He's going to name it later. As like, do does it have a name, a, a pre-Bilbo christening of... Probably not. So, so uh, in this troll horde, it's also where we find Glamdring and Orcrist, right? Mm -hmm. And this was another change uh, that came with the later editions, because when Tolkien wrote The Hobbit originally, it was a story that he told his kids, and it was only later as he started rewriting it or retooling it that he thought, you know, I could actually fit this in with my larger legendarium and uh and fit it with all these old legends and so he inserted things like the names of gandalf and thorin's swords and mm -hmm. saying oh they came from the the fallen city of gondolin from long long ago and all this stuff uh, so that's added in later to go with the rest of his mythology which i think is great uh but the naming of swords is uh is a very common Thing in these old uh, Norse and Germanic It's a long tradition. Myths. Like Pretty much as long as people have been sticking swords in other people and things, they've been naming <laughs> what they do with that. But it's... Uh, so it's... Yeah, straight out of something like, like Beowulf or whatever. Obviously, Tolkien would have known that well. Um, There's another bit of comedy in this, and maybe it's just the way I read it, but that actually I actually laughed about a little bit. Yeah. The fact that they sit there and they push on the door like they're fighting the door to try and get into the oh yeah to get into the uh, trolls cave whatever and then it's like oh yeah we found the key or whatever it is to open it up and oh, here it goes you know again all this wizards like casting spell doing whatever it's, you know here we go it opens up just pull the cord yeah. pull it's a pull door not um, a, a pull push door, not that's a push. the problem you gotta pull uh so you guys are big fans of uh, like craft beer I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Sure, you know you know all the different varieties. Did you know there's a leg biter beer, and it's big in Ireland apparently. I've never, <laughs> I've never consumed leg biter beer that that I can say, uh, but it is named leg biter beer as a very old beer named after the sword of King Magnus of Norway who ruled around the year 1000. There you go. He had wow. a sword named leg biter. And okay. Now there's a beer. So if so anybody who's I, his I, reign his reign continues. <laughs> Part of the reason I bring this up is that uh, you know I, I remember the first time I read The Hobbit and on subsequent rereads, I was always like Sting is kind of a kind of a dumb, dumb name. name compared to like Glamdring, Foehammer, you know, Sting. Like uh, that's uh, that's a little bit lame. But uh, King Magnus had Legbiter, which is just as lame. 
I just have this visual of like you said it was like a Norwegian king or whatever, and the thing is like he's just really short. So he's just having to swing it around like Imagine him hacking getting... off a few legs. <laughs> Sting I just imagine like Ow. Ow. Like that's my problem with Sting. It just doesn't sound very right. He's not even attacking his like foes or anything. He just like went to put it in a sheath one night and it like missed and stabbed his stabbed own his leg. leg. <laughs> he's like, ah, leg biter. <laughs> it was my I leg. say as someone who has done that before. <laughs> I'm going to need some context on that. I mean, you and I both know back in our youth days, we had a fascination with swords. And, yes, and, youth. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Youth. They're youth. talking about last week, just so to make that clear with everyone. <laughs> you know, I had I had a sword that I was out in my backyard practicing with whatever, and I was doing all sorts of you know swings and everything. And then I went to kind of do a cool little twirl and stick it in the sheath that I had at my side, and I missed unless the tip of it stabbed into my upper left thigh, like stabbed in there. It went in kind of deep. I mean, it wasn't the sharpest That's thing, but I had said. enough. <laughs> it had enough force to go in there, and I remember walking into my dad with my shorts hiked up like to a speedo level, and being like, "Does this need stitches?" <laughs> so uh, I had leg biter. I have a sword yeah, named leg biter. Yeah, I still have that sword too. Yeah, right? mine's hanging in my garage. So. Sure, yeah. <laughs> we're cool. <laughs> Just uh, you know, in case anybody needed any, uh, any the height confirmation is... on that. Anyone who wants to know, Craig and I, I actually fought each other with real katanas that were sharpened. <laughs> One time. Yeah, that's how intelligent we slowly, were. Slowly. Slowly. It, yeah. It ended fine. Why are you telling people this? <laughs> they need to know where they're getting their information from. They really don't. They really, really don't. Uh, I am 30 damn three years old. Uh, Surprisingly, we've made it that long. I know. Right. You're still alive. Back to The Hobbit. So, Back to the plot. <laughs> so now we... We've got a few more minutes, I suppose, uh, if we want to move on to Rivendell uh rivendell elrond is here it's the last homely house and some stuff happens tell me what happens other than i will be honest other than the uh moon char characters right um that elrond reveals i don't remember anything else happening in rivendell like is there something else that happens in rivendell other than elrond being like yeah by the way here's how you read your map and here's how you get into your mountain Here's that secret door. That's about it. Okay. That's good. that's about it. The, and a little bit of poetry, a little bit of... I just remember listening through and then all of a sudden going, wait a minute. There's Were a we lot just in more Rivendell? that We're... happens in the movie, though, that I think they've expanded that wasn't... Well, so yeah, in the movies, they've... Because there's the meetings and everything exactly. like, so that are in the movies. In the appendix to The Lord of the Rings, we're given a lot of background about what's going on off to the side of this adventure and the return of the necromancer to Mirkwood and all this stuff who is the necromancer and this is all explained yeah. 20 years later in the appendix to the return <laughs> of the king right uh and so peter jackson and his team grabbed a bunch of that and put it in here so now the uh the uh what's this place called the rivendell episode <laughs> is now greatly expanded yeah. in the movie mm. and so that's for those that have read The Hobbit but aren't quite familiar with The Hobbit. The movies have expanded a lot in that in that section yeah. as to what actually happened in the books compared to. So yeah, there's not a ton that happens here. I will say that Elrond is one of the very first characters that Tolkien ever inserted into his uh, legends. Uh, so Elrond is uh, any Elrond half elven exists almost as you see him here in the very first things that are published i'm trying to remember uh what's it called oh the sketch of the mythology in 1926 mm -hmm. has references to elrond and this just kind of notes that tolkien was jotting down at the time 
So if anybody would like to see more about that, like kind of the arrival of Elrond, you can check out uh, volume four of the history of uh, Middle-earth. And he's in there. So, uh, yeah, I don't have a ton else to say about about Rivendell. Do we... The only thing that's established in the Rivendell portion that carries later in, on into the story, and not even all that strong, is the tension between dwarf and elf. Oh, sure. Like, even in Rivendell, like, I don't remember there being a whole lot of issues in Rivendell other than Thorin, like, not being overly keen to reveal all of his plans and everything until the map is shown but um yeah and then we just revisit it later when we deal with the elven king in mirkwood right so speaking of which we will get to that stuff in future episodes and should are we are we basically expanding this series now <laughs> we were gonna do three and now it's looking like maybe four or five Hobbit until we get series, to the end of it. episodes until we get to the end um yeah let us know because I feel like if we start in on the mountain pass and the goblin cave and stuff like that's that's stuff that we would need to then talk about Gollum's cave and all this stuff yeah, and it's probably section. probably best left for next time and so we'll go ahead and cut it off here so I guess chapters one through seven became chapters one through three <laughs> uh, efficiency ladies and gentlemen masters of it right here just watch our next episode we'll be like all of a sudden all the way into you know, end of Mirkwood. We're going to finish the book <laughs> in episode two. Um, yeah, so what I would say is hit us up on Reddit and Twitter. I put out the call on Twitter um, with an hour to spare because I forgot to let people know. But if there are little things that, you know, little tidbits that you would like to know about or things that you have picked up that uh, that you think are really interesting and you'd like us to talk about a little bit or bring up, uh, then hit up the comments in Reddit, uh, the legendarium.reddit.com, uh, or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us with your Hobbit facts. You can even hashtag it Hobbit facts or Hobbit questions. I don't even. Uh, what, hashtag what, hairy feet. What's a, <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so, yeah, let us know if there's anything that you want us to talk about. I have bullet points galore, so I have plenty of things that I could bring up. I could basically just do the annotated Hobbit for you but I don't know how awesome that's going to be. So yeah, let us know what your questions are. I will be sure to pester you all uh, as we go and ask you for those, but you can do that proactively as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Thanks for listening. We will see you for presumably chapters four through seven on the next one. <laughs>